0: All right, I'm now going to introduce, a huge pleasure to introduce to the stage, my very good friend, my mentor, Mr. Mark Homer.
1: Hello, hi, good afternoon. Wow, there's loads of you here today. Exciting. Okay, so what's been happening recently with economics and finance and money, and last week specifically? So there was a budget. Was it interesting? Uh, sort of. What What happened? Uh, almost. Uh, almost nothing. I had a video all organised. Uh, Harry was ready. He got the camera all set up downstairs, and I was going to do a budget update. And then I sort of sat there and looked at him and said, I've got absolutely nothing to say. So it just got canceled. <laughs> so uh, we're sort of continuing along the, the road. And I'll talk about that a little bit more shortly. OK, at the moment, we're just at, just coming out of the winter. And we've got a, a few sort of changes in the marketplace and you know different economic headwinds and different economic sort of tailwinds, which are speeding us up and slowing us down. And I'm going to talk to you about what those mean for you with your property portfolio and how you know you can use these to your advantage to help you buy and to help you to make more money from your, your portfolio. And, and and it really gives you an idea of what's likely to happen in the future so that you can make predictions and, and set set your kind of sail in the right direction better. So just looking at um, the general economic backdrop, backdrop so that's the, the macroeconomic backdrop. If you look at sterling, the, the weakness is continuing. So sterling's about 122 to the dollar. Why is that? Anybody any ideas? So yeah, maybe well ma- ma- mainly kind of Brexit expectations. What's what's happening? Why is that? Why is that like that? Yeah, confidence maybe. Yeah, so uh, lots of it's around trade, isn't it? The, the, the capital account's probably not where it needs to be, and they're expecting there's going to be maybe higher tariffs and barriers so if you if you try and export. Then you probably if you're going to export into Europe, it's uncertain as to how much tax the uh, the consumers in Europe are going to have to pay for your goods. So they it may reduce. So there's all that stuff coming, isn't there? And they've got a few little uh, things in their pocket, haven't they, which they're going to pull out. I think they've worked out that this, you know, this Brexit bill. Uh, This 50 billion, uh, they've worked out they haven't got to pay it. So uh, I suspect they'll just be kind of sitting there saying, oh, well, we'll pay some of this if you let us have some free trade. And I think that's all going to start in the next, next year. So what does that mean for us? What does all this sort of stuff mean for us? This, this Brexit stuff? More opportunities, maybe. What's it done to the economy, probably? It's probably slowed it a bit. Where is the economy generally at the moment? Little bit of growth? I think it's quite good growth. If you have a look at GDP, GDP has actually grown 2.5% until the end of February. So what's the target? It's 2%, isn't it? So actually, we've got really strong economic growth at the moment. If we didn't have Brexit, what would it likely be? Probably a little bit higher, I expect, because there'd be more certainty. So, So actually, the economy's doing really, really well. You don't read that every day in the newspaper, do you? maybe not what they want to talk about at the moment. So these headwinds are sort of slowing, slowing it down. So prices are continuing to rise. So what kind of prices are going up? Yeah, food's gone up a lot, yeah. Utilities? yes. A lot of stuff that's imported has gone up a lot because the pound is devalued. Yeah, what sort of stuff specifically? Yeah, cars probably have gone up a bit. Yeah, I've noticed that. Certainly, contract tires have gone up a little bit. Has everyone noticed that? Sort of watch those as we renew them. Apple products products have definitely gone up loads. I bought a new laptop just before Christmas, and I was shocked. Yeah, yeah, they've really gone up. So all that stuff that's imported, you probably noticed. You know, you kind of high-end ladies high-end handbags? Have Have you seen what happened? We we went around Selfridges. I have to do this every year with Gemma, and it it don't like it, Um, and um, on a whole number of levels. But we we have to have this weekend where we're going to stay in London just before Christmas, and she goes and finds her handbag and all this stuff. And I just find the whole handbag thing at that level just you know you're buying something for I don't know fifteen hundred quid that's worth thirty quid. Do you know what I mean? It's it just sends me bananas. But I just sort of zip it and. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh no! I wouldn't even tell him. He just what? (laughs) This is crazy. So we go along and um, and you know look at all this stuff. And I noticed just before Christmas, if you go around all the high-end sort of designer boutiques, and they've just got a line through the price, and then sort of another exactly 15% added on. They've probably changed all the tags now. But that seemed to be what happened as soon as um, you know, Sterling depreciated. All that stuff, all the high-end stuff like that, just went up about 15%, and it, it, it was pretty much across the board. So we've imported all this inflation into our economy. Yeah, We've imported these price rises, and they're not, they've not all made their way through yet, but I think they will continue to. You know, you continue, you'll see more and more of it come through to the supermarkets. Your costs will probably go up with your properties, so utilities will go up. What other stuff is there that's going to cost you more
0: probably? The
1: to to the Definitely day. the development costs have gone up. I've seen that in the last year, 18 months. Probably 10%, 15%. Builders are having to source their stuff from elsewhere. I know the builder we've been using gets most of his stuff from Poland. That finished and he got on a plane to China and uh, and he found a you know load more, even cheaper stuff. Came back with a big smile on his face. Obviously he wouldn't tell me what prices he was now getting. but. Um, yeah, so, so you'll probably continue to see your material prices increase, I suspect, through, through the year. Anything else? Tax? Yeah, I, I suspect they've done most of that. I'll come on to that in a little bit. Any other raw materials that are going to go up? Commodities have calmed down a bit, haven't they? Like gas and electricity. Seals, yeah, maybe. But unless you're kind of doing big apartment blocks with big steel frames. I'm about to sort of maybe start something like that, so that might cost a little bit more. Sorry? Jewelry. Jewelry. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sure it has gone up, yeah. But um, yeah, I'm just thinking in specifically in terms of our our property businesses. Bricks, where do bricks come from? They used to come from just over there, because this was a big brick pit. But um, yeah, I, I don't know, I haven't seen that much kind of brick inflation, if I'm honest. But I'm sure it's coming. So, the FTSE has gone up loads, hasn't it? So, the stock market has increased, it's gone from like 6,800 to 7,350 in about six months. Why is that? Why has it gone up so much? Sorry? Confidence, yeah, com- good, uh-huh. confidence has is, is definitely gone up. Generally, the stock market looks about a year ahead. So, basically, the stock market's telling us that it expects. The, the economy is going to be in a better shape and, and continue to grow in about a year, yeah? Which is quite good. It also went up clearly because when sterling, or well, the pound devalued, that then increased the amount of money which a lot of FTSE 100 companies were making because lots of their profits are, are based abroad. So if they then make more money abroad and they bring it back you know, and, and convert it into pound sterling, because sterling's weaker, then it means they end up making more money. Why else has the FTSE gone up a lot? Why else has the stock market gone up a lot? Yeah, definitely. So with with um, with our stock market, it's very closely linked to the American Dow Jones. And that's gone up stacks. Why is that? Yeah, probably Donald Trump. So Donald Trump's new uh, sort of, uh, I don't know what you call it, because um, he's got different. Um, but yeah, his, his latest plan is um, <laughs> his, 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 his big infrastructure spending and, and a lot more spending on the, the military in the US. So all of this kind of extra spending and money that he's putting into their economy is likely to create bigger growth. Bigger growth for them means stock market goes up and probably more growth for us as well. What's it also likely to do to their economy? It's probably probably going to take on more debt because uh, yes, I'm sure he'll spend this money on the infrastructure. And maybe they'll raise some <laughs> more taxes, but it won't go up at the same rate. Interest Sorry, rate. interest rates are going to go up. Yeah, uh, I suspect so in the medium to long term. I'll come on to that shortly. But yeah, the, this, the U.S. is creating quite a lot of growth, which is sort of transposing itself onto us, and uh, you know we we're, we're likely to see more of this probably into next year. So interest rates, what, what, what's likely to happen to interest rates? Well, this is a slightly more complicated equation because what affects interest rates the most? What is it? Inflation. inflation? so interest rates are the, the, uh, the way in which the Bank of England or the government, or really the Bank of England, control the rate of inflation. What is inflation? Yeah, so raising prices, or the devaluation of money over time is inflation. And what level of inflation do we target? What, what do we want every year? So 2% is the target. And at the moment, where is it, roughly? Officially. Offici- <laughs> officially and unofficially. That's an interesting uh, point, isn't it? Yeah. Where, 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 where is inflation? I think it's still below the target. I don't know exactly. Sorry? Yeah, about 1.6. I thought it was between one5 and 2%. So what does that mean if it's below the target? It means they have to keep interest rates lower to get it to 2%. So interest rates are still 0.25%, aren't they? So where are they likely to go? Well, the latest market predictions, if you have a look at swap-rates.com on the internet, swap-rates, on there you can see what the market expects interest rates to be at various points. In the future you can see sort of one-year money, three-year money, five-year money, and um, at the moment, the, the kind of best prediction or the market prediction is that interest rates are unlikely to start rising until 2019. Is that guaranteed to be right? It's probably, well, it's guaranteed to be wrong, I would say, because most of these predictions end up being wrong, because what happens in between? Stuff, things change, Unexpected stuff happens, and as unexpected stuff happens, these predictions change. But that's probably the best guess at the moment. And rates are expected to go to about 2.5% by 2020. So how might you use that information? Why is that useful? So when you're taking out mortgages, yeah? What's cheap at the moment? What, what, What sort of deals are quite good? Yeah, five-year fixes are cheap. What, what what have you seen? What rates have you seen? Uh, I saw 2.6. 2.6. is cheap, isn't it, for a five-year fix? I'm just just um, coming to the end of a conversion or a, a refurb and conversion of, of my new home, and we're just about to remortgage it, and I've gone to Barclays. They've offered me a five-year fix at 2.04. It's so cheap. Or, a, or a, I think the variable was 1.2, which is outrageously cheap. But I'm, I'm going to go on a five-year fix. I think, I think that's brilliant. But buy to let at 2.6, I think they're, they're really, really good rates. I think there's more likelihood that, saying if you took a five-year fix out now, if you got to year two or three, you may start to see some rises, and it may go beyond that 2.6%. So they're probably quite good rates at the moment. The USA has already started to increase their base rate. And they, they see it as a 100% certainty that there's going to be another increase very, very soon. So at the moment, they're 0.75, but they reckon in the US there'll be two and a quarter by September 18. So obviously they drag our economy along. You know They drag our sort of growth up or down, and they're probably a future indicator of where our interest rates are likely to end up. But what's the difference that we've sort of got at the moment that they haven't? Yeah, so, so they're not going through this sort of change in their economy, where their trade situation's going to be dramatically changed, although I think Donald Trump's taken them out of lots of stuff and he'll probably put them back into it next week when he's uh, sort of, I don't know, when he gets his caffeine rush or something else that changes his emotional state. So this is a bit different. We're we're different from sort of the rest of Europe and the US and other places like that at the moment just because of of us coming out of the the EU. So these interest rates, very important. We should focus on where they're going. What sort of, uh, are most people buying properties now in limited companies? Yes, no? Yeah. Yeah, is anybody buying personally? Yeah? Still, you just, any, why, any reason why? I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to do, because it, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah,
1: well, I mean, it's not necessarily the wrong thing to do. If you were just having a few properties, it may still be the right thing to do. And the, the only way to work out what the correct thing to do is to sit down with an accountant who really understands how these tax changes are likely to affect you. But if you're buying in a limited company,
0: Um, If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap but you just don't know how to do it then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started.
1: You will probably end up going down the road of a commercial lender. What's the issue with with sort of buying a limited company and then having lots of, of lenders lending to that limited company? Yeah, the debenture. It's, it's often an issue lots of lenders want the debenture over the company and it can be quite complicated if you've got quite a few lenders there or they just won't even allow it so you you may end up in your limited companies with one commercial lender who does the whole lot and you know we've certainly moved to that position previously when we owned properties personally we just had stacks of different lenders but you're probably going to reduce the amount of lenders, you know, and 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 maybe just have one over a limited company. So, what what road is that leading us down? Yeah, an SPV, you know, for for your portfolio. So an individual limited company for your your portfolio. But it probably means you want to get a relationship with a commercial lender. So you know, one of the the, the bigger sort of banks like Lloyd's who do all of, you know, they'll do single lets, they'll do HMOs. I've seen them even do serviced accommodation as long as there's track record. If you can build a relationship with a lender like that over time, they're probably going to give you some really good fixed rates. We, we just did one with them, at a variable just under 3%, which is pretty good for a loan like that. And you, you'd probably be able to get long-term fixed rates with them. I mean, they were doing 10-year fixes at four and a half, five 5%, something like that. Okay, so, transactions. Transaction volumes are important. Why, why are transaction volumes important? I.e. how many houses or, or flats buy and sell every month? Why, they, why is that important? Yeah, it, it shows demand, yeah? Yeah, yeah, so what's happening generally to demand at the moment? It's dropped, whereabouts? Most places? Say that again.
0: High-end London.
1: In the yeah, high-end London, definitely. Central London and the, the sort of better areas of London. It's actually falling, I'd say, in most of those areas. What about Midlands or the North? Yeah, probably still increasing slightly. So you can see these transaction volumes on here. They're quite interesting. March last year, well, let's say January, February last year, transaction volumes went berserk. I just remember, oh, there you go. January, February. You see that spike? Why was that? Stamp duty. stamp duty. So stamp duty came. It changed. It went up to an additional three percent in March. Yeah. So the bit before that, it went absolutely skitty. And I remember, there were a whole stack of transactions. Then after that, it's recovered somewhat. But what's the what's the kind of changing dynamic here? What is different about the amount of properties that have been sold since then? Less buy-to-let, way less landlords are buying now. So although transaction volumes look broadly the same as they did last year, or maybe slightly lower, more of, there are quite a lot less landlords within that number buying since, you know, kind of March last year. Why is that? Might be stamp duty. This constant, I mean, we've had more more tax changes and and, and more sort of regulatory changes than we have in 30 years probably with with buy-to-let. So, you know, all these these tax changes have put a lot of people off. What happens when there's uncertainty? People don't buy as many, yeah? Say that again? They might not sell, they might not. They might just keep them, that's true. What's likely to happen though towards probably next year where we now April, so actually not next year, the year after, in January, what's likely to happen? Lots of people are going to put their tax returns in, what's going to happen? They're suddenly going to owe the Inland Revenue a load of money, and then they're going to say to the accountant, why is this? And if their accountant even knows what to do, then, you know, they'll put it in correctly, but, you know, at that point, they're probably going to start realising they've got this big tax bill, and lots of accountants are going to say, well, capital gains tax, stamp duty, if you transfer them you're not going to be able to and there's going to be quite a few of them selling I think. So I think there's an opportunity all the way through from now to try and access these landlords. You know with, with reasonable sized portfolios some of them they often own them personally they're going to have to sell quite a few of them if they haven't got the right advice, if they've not gone and seen an accountant that knows what to do. Lots of them will be just selling them and, and getting rid of them because their tax bill will, could be more than they're actually getting in in net income. Lots of them will be hit with that. So I think there's a big opportunity there. What else, what, what's like to happen to this now moving forward in terms of the volumes? Should what, sorry? Should increase. Again. Should, should increase yeah. There's probably going to be, a, I'd say there's a small, small increase in this due. And what does this mean? When there's an increase in volume, what, what usually happens? <coughs> Prices go up. That's normally what happens. Remember in the credit crunch, those volumes went right down to sort of about 70,000, and that's when prices were falling. So when you're at this level, above about 100,000, they're usually rising, okay? Where do you get this information from? If you have a look on ONS or you type in residential property transactions into Google, the government released this. I think it comes from HMRC because they can obviously see through the stamp duty how many transactions there are. Yeah, it's quite, quite important information. What stamp duty, what have the stamp duty changes done at the top end of the market? Yeah, just almost killed, it. almost killed it. You know, this is why a lot of central London has really ground to a halt. If you look in, in Mayfair, Kensington, Chelsea, Knightsbridge, all those really high end areas. There have been a massive reduction in the number of transactions, the number of properties being bought and sold in those areas because of stamp duty. Over a million pounds now, properties over a million pounds in this area barely sell at the moment. It's a very, very gummed-up market. Is there anything
0: coming out from government as to the effect? Because really, if all of that slows down, if, if yeah. landlords are, are not buying, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the question the question is if if the government's put stamp duty up for landlords and for, you know, higher end properties, surely the overall tax take from stamp duty will be down. So it wouldn't be in their interest to do this. And is there anything that they propose to fix it? No, absolutely nothing. They've said well, they've just said nothing. that they are actually up. That's correct. They weren't up, but um, they are up now, which is a shame because it will just... Uh, he's already said it. Um, someone, uh, someone managed to speak to Philip Hammond, I think, about the stamp duty changes for, for landlords and high-end, and he said, yes, I'm willing to look at some proposals if they generate as much tax. So he's, he's probably just not going to be interested, is he, if, if the, um, the amount of tax has gone up. I, I presume, though... At some point, something will have to be done. What's the likely effect? Okay, high end houses, you know, that market gets gummed up, a few of them get fed up, and I suppose in the end they may have to do something. But what is a bigger problem for them, for the government, in the medium to long term? If, if landlords can't buy, there's not enough private rented sector houses coming into the market. So what, what then happens? rents just keep going up and we are seeing it wholesale at the moment round here. So 2 years ago we we used to rent three beds, these little ex-council houses, we used to rent them out at sort of 525, maybe you know, maybe sort of yeah, 500 525. 1 year ago they were 550 and about 3 months ago they're about 650 to 6.75. I spoke to Caroline, who runs a lot of that stuff for us, yesterday or day before. And she said, they've just got 7.25 on one. 7, 7.25. Is, is anyone else seeing these kind of rent rises at the moment? I, we're seeing huge rent rises here. I'd say in you know, it, it, certainly central London, I think it's the opposite, you know, because there aren't as many sort of you know, bankers and, and people coming from Europe and all that sort of stuff. But certainly around here and other areas of the Midlands, there are big rent rises. So if your property's with a letting agent, are you likely to have seen the rent rise if you haven't had a new tenant? Probably not. It's when you get a new tenant or sort of when you, you know, what we often do is they they have to renew their tenancy and they can either sort of renew and sign up for 12 months, or if they don't want to do that, then they have to accept a 25 pound a month Increase in the rent, and often they accept it. Yeah, so we just step it up over time, and then when you get a new tenant in, any new tenants on these three beds now, it'll be seven hundred quid, I think, um, which is it's just huge. The, the rent rises, so over time, there's going to be more pressure mounting, I expect, on, on the government because less of these tenants will be able to afford, you know, to, 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 to live in um, live in rented accommodation. So they're going to have to supply. Well, they won't have a solution, will they? Did anyone see the, the white paper? This amazing white paper that was built and, you know, they were going to build a huge <laughs> amount of houses and it's, I think they're just kind of still kicking the can down the road. There's, there's obviously some consultation and they're, they're saying that they're going to introduce new rules for the private rented sector and also they're going to be uh, built to rent. So, you know, planning permission will become easier when you're building properties that you're going to rent out. So maybe SIL, community infrastructure levy and affordable housing will reduce like the amount of sort of money you have to pay to get planning permission. And they're also saying that they're gonna do longer term tenancies. But it sort of feels like more of the same, just tinkering around the edges. I just don't get the feeling that they're gonna be you know, building in the green belt or you know, reducing you know, planning regulations massively or anything like that. So I think this is just gonna continue. But I suspect at some point they're gonna to have to do something with the tax, but maybe they haven't got enough of a problem yet. Maybe Shelter hasn't made enough phone calls to number ten yet. Question? Yeah, I just wanted to say that in my area which is New Forest. New Forest, yeah. which is Bournemouth. Uh, South around there the, and the border, Yeah. There's a lot of new houses going up. Are they? It's all on green land, which is, is it? agricultural
0: land, Yeah. people have got their horses and they take mm. their horses off the forest. Yeah.
1: And there's a big it I mean it's all been accepted. Yeah. In the New Forest? Yeah. And that surprises it's me. It's going right up. There's agricultural land around the New Forest. Yeah. And then it's going right up
0: to the edge of the National Park. Mm.
1: And, it, uh, you know, in a- anywhere
0: where there's trees, they're going to cut trees down to put houses. So it is yeah.
1: Yeah. Mmm. Well, I, I, I suspect the planning consent for that was granted some time ago. It's
0: part of the new thing. Yeah. They're Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, they, they are around here as well. And, you know, they're building loads here on Hampton and there's going to be more at Haddon. But in certain areas, it's still hard work to get planning, no matter what they say. And, you know, if, it, if, it's, if it's the Greenbelt, it's still almost impossible. So those areas are probably designated differently. So, yeah, I think, um, I think these issues will continue. I don't see any change. Okay, so house prices. And the best source of working out where house prices are going, I think, is RICs. I think RICs, you know, the, this is the um, Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors. So the surveyors are out valuing properties all day. So they, they really know what's going on, don't they, in terms of, you know, what's happening. And they say there's still a big supply-demand imbalance, although the house price growth has probably slowed down a bit. But nationwide, I think that the growth over the last year is 4.5%. So we, we're still growing at about 5%, something like that. Landlord purchases down, we know about that. But even Ricks say, across the country, rents are growing strongly and likely to continue for the foreseeable future. So what does that mean for us, in terms of rent, rental growth? What, what, what can we, how can that, that knowledge help us when we're kind of shaping our property business?
0: More, uh, analysis,
1: you know, yeah, so you might think to yourself, well, house prices aren't gonna grow as much, Yeah, we need to trade out of a limited company, so the cost there might be increased. Maybe we're gonna pay a little bit more tax, but rental growth is likely to be higher in the medium term, so we're probably going to end up making more cash flow anyway to pay for these extra costs. Usually when costs go up, businesses, landlords, have to put their prices up, i.e. rents, to to react to that. So that's, that's already happening. So the budget, as we mentioned earlier on, there was absolutely nothing in there for landlords. Um, I heard I heard a few rumors that he was going to include limited companies in these new changes. And uh, me, you know, which would mean that you wouldn't be able to offset all the mortgage interest within a limited company. Nothing like that happened. Um, there were no changes for landlords. Hopefully this will continue where he just sort of leaves us alone now. He put national insurance up a little bit. Uh, don't think I'll make that much difference. But I would say most people are incorporating or they're certainly buying new properties through limited companies. If you've got a portfolio and you need to work out what you're going to do with it, whether you're going to a limited company or or whether you don't, here is the number. of A really good accountant, we use him. I've done a podcast with him. His name is Luke Prout. He's at McIntyre-Hudson. He's in Peterborough. They're a good firm. They know what they're doing. He will sit down with you and work out specifically what your portfolio looks like, where the income's you know, coming from, at what level is it, what other incomes you have, and work out what your position is now and what it's likely to be as these tax changes keep on coming in. And once he's been through that process, he will be able to tell you what the, you know, the, the, the best course of action is. It's very important that you go through that. It will take a little while. He'll get everything, and then he'll write to you. It's very important you go through that process. He said to me that with existing portfolios, it's kind of split 50-50 in terms of the advice he's giving. About half of the people that come to see him, he's just telling them to do nothing. And then the other half, he's saying, well, you need to move them into a limited company. Is there a way of moving them into a limited company without paying capital gains tax? Possibly. Maybe you go into an LLP or quite a few people are using incorporation relief, so incorporation relief. Uh, effectively means if you've got a big enough portfolio and you're spending enough time in it then you're running a business and you're able to transfer with no capital gains tax or you defer the capital gains tax until you eventually sell the properties. And what about stamp duty? Is there a way around that when you when you transfer? If you own them jointly or if you go th- put them into an LLP for 3 years and then transfer them. If you own them jointly, you can claim you can use paragraph 18 and 20 of Sorry, section 15 of the Finance Act 2003, paragraphs 18 and 20 let you transfer, if you own properties jointly or in a partnership, into a limited company without paying stamp duty. If you own them individually, you may need to you know, have a, a step through, a limited com- uh, through an LLP, but y- just talk to Luke about all that sort of stuff. You know, because there is quite you know, there's quite a lot of complexity to it and you need to have your portfolio looked at properly.
0: Mark, the only um, difference in advice we had, because I own a lot of property with my wife currently, was that it had to be transferred into a partnership prior to moving into a company. So we've just retrospectively created a partnership will trade through that for maybe two years and then yeah. keep it over. So, so the difference, not
1: joint was not enough. Yeah, not yeah, that. so it depends which accountant you go to as to what advice you'll receive. Trust me, they are all saying different things. Why is that? Yeah. Say that again? Because no, they, really they don't completely know. No yes, that, that that's true. Little case law, mm. new rules, I remember when these new rules came out, You know, initially, I went around three or four different accountants, and it was a complete mess. Honestly, they were, they were coming out with completely different stuff because they weren't sure. So what I quite liked was the, Luke does this, and, and our company accountant, you know, another accountant, we use Chris Wilkins. I've done a video with him. it's on my Facebook page. And um, so you can have a look at them both. They both said to me, the way to deal with this is to write to HMRC, tell them what we're going to do, we'll go for what's called pre-clearance, yeah? So write them a letter, tell them what we're gonna do, and say, we think we don't need to pay capital gains tax or stamp duty because of X, Y, and Z, and these are the circumstances, do you agree? And they wrote back and said, yeah, we agree because of this, this, and this, then you transfer them. So your accountant's likely to want to do that because it sort of puts a nice piece of steel under his bottom, yeah? And also, it just gives you certainty about the position. And actually, they came back and said, yeah, the properties are owned jointly, so we think that's a partnership. They were happy with that. But <laughs> it probably depends which officer at the Inland Revenue receives the letter, to be honest. And at the moment, they're issuing those clearances. And the accountant said, you know, sort of, get them in while she can, because who knows how long they'll be issuing them for. So that's working at the moment. I just had another one back last week for another portfolio, so that's a good way to deal with it. Sort of tell them what you're going to do, and then later if they come back and say, look, you transferred all these, we're not happy, whatever, you can say, well, i got clearance, we wrote to you, it's very unlikely then that they'll, they'll, well, they can't go back on it as long as the circumstances are correct. and you, you sort of told the truth in the first place as to what the circumstances were. One more question?
0: Yeah, um, just going back to what yeah. you were saying previously, given the anticipated rise in rent, does that yeah. make you more sanguine about single uh yeah. Want to continue to buy single yeah. And get a
1: so, so um, these rent rises. Does the, the question was, do these rent rises make me a little bit more comfortable about continuing to grow a portfolio with single-let properties? Well, I'd be happy to do that. I think these rent rises are, you know, they're clearly here. They're happening. I think they're continuing. So, yeah, I, I of course I'd buy single-let properties. I don't buy them because. I'm focusing my time on doing bigger buildings now. So I'm, I'm buying commercial stuff and converting them. I'm in the middle of a really big deal at the moment. Could be about 100 apartments. It's a, a big sort of department store. It'd be you know, quite a big project. I haven't exchanged on it yet. It might fall through. So that, that's the sort of stuff I'm sort of focusing on. We've, we've just finished a 37-bed HMO as well, uh, split into cluster flats. We're we getting as much on a room as you do on a, in, a, in a house in this town. Uh, it includes utilities and kind of you know, all the bills and all that sort of stuff. It's a very, very high-end HMO model um, which I really like. Uh, but would I continue to buy single lets? Yes, absolutely. If I could buy them at sort of 20 at a time or something like that, so my time is really well spent, I would do that. Uh, I think it's a, a good... I, I still think it works. I, th- I think it's a great model. To, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they don't want to lend to you because you're buying stuff below 50,000. Yeah, maybe if you go to a commercial lender, what, what you probably would do is buy a few, then package them up, and then say to the commercial lender, here's three, four, or five, can you remortgage these all together? They'll be a lot happier doing that. It's just when you remortgage one property of, I don't know, 40 grand, you've still got similar legal fees, you've still got the same valuation fee, and the lender still spends as much time on it but of course they're making a lot less, so it's not really worth their time. So if you can package a few together and then take them to a commercial lender, they will usually be happy to do that. Another question? When you say package them together, does that yeah. one, to one title. Yeah, uh, no, um, have them on separate titles, but just buy them into your limited company. You may need to buy them cash, or maybe use some other, you know, other finance, or JV finance, or whatever. Then, say you've got three or four in your limited company, then go to a commercial lender with three or four and say, I want to remortgage all these three or four and they'll just put them on one loan for you. Yeah.
0: you developers alter their strategy from a buy sell to a buy hold
1: So question question is with the you know these kind of rent rises, are you seeing, am I seeing developers moving from kind of buying, developing and selling to buying, developing and renting? I'm not, the people I know, probably not really. I think it's more down to what they know and what they're used to doing. Lots of the traditional developers in this town, they just sort of build or you know, convert and then sell them because that's what they've always done. And I find it's the ones that have come from the landlord background who have learned how to develop that tend to keep them because they understand the long-term benefits of, of keeping this stuff. So I think it's more based around the individual. I think it's probably a safer strategy you know, to you know, convert or build and then to rent them out. You know, With the project I'm doing at the moment, we'll be selling them. But if we had a major problem or there was a recession or something like that, I'd rent the lot out. And I, I usually only do stuff that I know I could just sort of rent if there's a problem. Because in the last recession, I watched loads and loads of developers go bust. They were all the ones that were trying to sell their units. They couldn't, they couldn't sell them. So they, their cash flow dried up and you know, their, their banks took their properties. But the ones that survived either were just landlords renting stuff out or developers that then switched and rented the stuff out, got income in, you know, sort of traded their way through the recession and then got out the other end and either, either sold them or continued to rent them out. Those guys were all, most of them were fine. Just
0: regarding the renting becoming strong and the interest is going up because that is going to happen in America. Yeah. Which is going to happen six months or a year later. In yeah. UK. Yeah. That's the usual way to follow. So, yeah. So as long as the cash is our own, not the bank, then that would work fine. But if the bank is, is used
1: so yeah. one
0: has to factor that in. Where would you say yeah. the fact should be? What should we keep in mind as a risk taking that?
1: Well, I, I've, I've put there the, the expected sort of interest rate projections for the future. And the market thinks that it's probably not going to be a rate rise for a couple of years. Now, that could be wrong. But by 2020, it thinks it's about 2.5%. I would say you might be just as well getting a five-year fix from your lender. If you can get a five-year fix at 2.6%, why wouldn't you do that? Because you know, you, what's the variable rate at the moment with buy-to-let? Really? What? So the variable's more than the five year <laughs> fix?
0: But that was <laughs> a higher
1: gearing. Was it, yeah. So I, I just yeah, just fix them if if it's this cheap. You've got to look at the cost of the variable, cost of the fix. If there's if there's not much in it, or well, the fix is cheaper, as sometimes it is, then I'd I'd just fix them. That's you know, and then that takes that issue away. I would say you do want to be borrowing money at the moment. Why is that? Cheap. It's so cheap, isn't it? On my own home, I'm wanging it up as much as I can. I, of course, I've got Gemma there who's, you know, we're not doing this, you know. And uh, I get into trouble for that sort of stuff. But at 2%, why the hell wouldn't you? Yeah. To yeah. And the bottom line is like that. Yeah. So what's my strategy for dealing with overcoming the fact that we can't offset all the mortgage interest is buying in a limited company because limited companies are exempt from these new rules. So you can offset all the mortgage interest within a limited company. (laughs) Yes. That's the idea You know why you might want to incorporate, why you might want to take your properties from your own name and move them to a limited company because (coughs) limited companies are exempt from these rules. Could that change in the future? Yeah. yeah, it could. I don't know what Philip Hammond is going to do. Does Philip Hammond know what he's going to do? <laughs> I promise you, I, I think he probably doesn't. So say that again. How long's, How long's he got in the job? That's a very good point. You know, I, uh, apparently George Osborne and probably a load of mandarins behind him designed this stuff. Philip Hammond's taken it over you, you, you just don't know who's saying what behind the scenes. So I'm sort of operating on what we've got here with the information that we've got at the moment. It's sure that at the moment limited companies are exempt. So I think it's more likely than not that will continue uh, and haven't seen anything to the contrary. I know there's all these noises saying that it's going to be but there's no, nothing concrete that says that that's going to be withdrawn or changed. The way I see it is if you're in a limited company I don't necessarily think you're any worse off than, you know, even if the rules get changed, I don't think you're any necessarily any worse off than if you owned them personally. So I think, why wouldn't I do it whilst I can? Mm-hmm. The other, there, are, there are some benefits to having it in a limited company, and that's the, 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 the ability to pay less tax as long as you don't draw the money out. If you keep the money and the properties in the limited company, you're only going to be paying 17% tax. Instead of potentially, personally, you might be paying 40% or 45%. Now, of course, as soon as you draw the money out for personal use, you are probably going to pay a higher tax rate than, than personal. But if your mentality is just to keep growing and getting these gross compounded returns every year... You're going to end up with a lot more at the end of the year, which then you get growth on, which then you pay less tax on, which then grows even more. And I, I love that snowball effect. But if you want to spend all the money every year like Rob does, um,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: then, 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 then yeah, it's not as good. But he's got no choice because there's two of us.
0: So, <laughs> um, Andrew. So the rises in the US. Yeah. Their their stock moves up and the UK falls down. Yeah. You see maybe a period of divergence. Yeah,
1: well, it looks like it, doesn't it? Because our economies have diverged in some way because we're expected to come out of the EU. And uh, that'll continue. Uh, whereas in the credit crunch, we were all sort of going down together. And they were maybe a year ahead of us, something like that. So yeah, I think that, that, that'll continue, won't it, until there's just certainty about what the deal's going to be. I've no idea what, what, what that's going to look like, or what that's going to do to the economy. But I don't think any of that lot in the government do either. So they'll just have to keep rates low if the, you know it's gonna to continue to be a bellwether on, on you know the economy. I'm gonna say are we out of time? I think we're out of time. I'm gonna say one more question.
0: In regards to the Brexit yeah what do you think about um, the government strategy for future to minimize the impact of Brexit to reduce the corporate uh, so yeah, that'd be pretty amazing, uh, wouldn't it?
1: What, making yeah. us into Ireland too? or Switzerland yeah. too. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'd yeah. <laughs> be amazing, wouldn't it? <laughs> the British Virgin Islands in London. <laughs> I, look, If uh, obviously this is one of the, the sort of threats that the government is um, making behind the scenes when they're, they're negotiating this EU deal and you know our exit from Europe basically saying they're going to create an offshore tax haven just on the edge of Europe in the middle of London now <laughs> I, it may just be you know them threatening and you know if, if you look at the the structure of our economy it might be difficult to do that just because of the the, sort of the welfare and the the, the the kind of size of our the size of the population the level of the population and, and sort of how much income they all generate and that tends to work in areas with smaller population with higher incomes. But it's it, it, it sort of worked in Ireland. They've got very low corporate tax rates and, you know, if we end up with a, a really, really low corporate tax rate, that could be amazing. I don't think they'll do that with personal tax. They never seem to. If you go to all these tax havens on like Switzerland or I don't know, Grand Cayman or you know, if you if you look at some of the others in British Virgin Islands, often the income tax rate is not that much lower. But corporate taxes, i.e. corporation tax. It's obviously already dropping to 17%, but I suspect it could go lower. So it's a good good reason to have a limited company. The outlook for that is really good. Okay, we're done. Have a brilliant weekend. Nothing more for me to say than thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Mark good, or is he good? Yes. Another round of applause for Mark then, please.